We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 115 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show as I continue the season preview series, breaking down the Gamecocks defense heading into 2019. I'll look back at the 2018 season, top storylines heading into this season for the defense, while they'll be better, while they'll be worse, and also my predictions for the 2019 defensive unit. Also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks linebacker Corey Miller as we discuss his path to USC, being a local kid, the Carolina-Clemson rivalry, playing for Joe Morrison, being a nine-year NFL veteran, his involvement in the Columbia media, and much, much more. This is a podcast sent to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use and the only one I recommend. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything, whether it be South Carolina Gamecocks sporting events, concerts, comedy club events, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, you name it. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything you need. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're actually going to save $10 off your first purchase. They've got a great ticket rating system for you guys. They make it super simple, super easy when you're buying tickets. You know exactly the type of deal you're getting. So you know if you're getting a steal, you know if you're getting ripped off. You're never going to overpay for tickets again, and they really give you that ease of mind before you click the buy button. It's, it's super simple. It's really that easy. So again, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show. As always, got a packed show for you guys. Continuing the season preview series, I'll take a deep dive into the defense. We're just, I guess when you're listening to this, we're 37 days away from kickoff now. It feels like every single day. It feels like we've gone from counting down the days to counting down the minutes, and literally sometimes it feels like the seconds. So 37 days from kickoff obviously depends on when you're listening to this, but uh, it can't get here soon enough, obviously. Gamecocks will start fall camp next week. Literally a week from today. I know everyone's very, very fired up and excited for that. Um, but we're just counting it down. So let's get into the defense, obviously. Very excited to talk about this. Let's look back first at 2018, what the Gamecocks did in 2018. And it was a fairly rough year for Carolina defensively. Allowed 27.2 points per game, 424 total yards per game. Um, 195 of those came on the ground, 229 rushing yards – or excuse me, passing yards per game. 195 rushing yards per game. South Carolina with 26 sacks on the year. Really the telling thing to me, though, the statistic that really tells you the story 
is the turnover margin. The team as a whole finished minus five in the turnover margin. Gamecocks just weren't able to get the ball off of people similar to how they did in 2000, uh, 2017. It re- that was really, to me, the thing that was the storyline we heard all about before in the preseason. I think that was something we expected um, is that South Carolina was going to simply get the ball off of people, simply didn't, similar to what they did in 2017. It just didn't happen. It really just never clicked, and the Gamecocks struggled really in the turnover department. Um, obviously, as we all remember, it was an injury-filled season. I think at one point in the Clemson game, I think it may have been, you had seven freshman starters on defense the bowl game as well, really the injuries took its toll on this defense. The injuries, the inexperience, the lack of depth really all showed its ugly head a year ago. And the Gamecocks struggled. I mean, Will Muschamp cited it last week at SEC Media Days that the Gamecocks simply struggled. They were not very good on defense. He actually said once at SEC Media Days, they stunk. He said they stunk on defense a year ago. Um, And it was tough to watch at times. It really was. Again, with all the injuries, I mean, South Carolina was just – you were playing – you were – you were playing cards with a loaded deck, basically. You didn't have all your cards. You didn't have all your guys available. And it's just hard to win and hard to compete at a high level um, when you're dealing with injuries like that. So, obviously, that's been a big thing. People have watching, been watching this offseason. Um, Jeff Dillman and the strength staff catching a ton of flack after last season. Guys, it seems like this year are ready, good to go. Nobody's on the injury list. Obviously, Jalen Dickerson was a guy that we learned over SEC many days that he'll be out for the season. But other than that, I think everybody should be good to go from what we're hearing. Um, let's jump into this 2019 defensive unit, my top storylines heading into the 2019 season. And I want to give first, before we kind of dive into the specifics of things, I want to tell you guys why I am excited about this year's defense. Because I'm very excited. I'm very, very excited about the potential of this year's defense. To me, without a doubt, you know, Will Muschamp has already said many times, this is his best team. This is his best team, you know, without a doubt at South Carolina. I mean, as it should be. It's his fourth year. Um, this is the best team of the Muschamp era, and I think this is the best defense of the Muschamp era. And I would argue this is the best defense South Carolina has fielded since 2013. Without a doubt, most athletic. Um, when you take a look up and down this roster, and we know what Steve Spurrier left behind and the lack of recruiting, I, this is the first time in a while when I really take a look at the defensive roster and I start to feel like there are some dudes on that side of the ball. Like, there are some guys that can make some plays. And you know, some of those guys are veteran guys. Some of those guys are inexperienced. Some of them are freshmen that just stepped on campus over the summer. But I feel like for the first time since 2013, South Carolina really has athletes at every single position on defense. Um, the Gamecocks returned 16 of top their top 20 tacklers from a year ago as well. South Carolina didn't lose a ton, I feel like, defensively from a year ago. Um, you lose Keyshawn Nixon, Rashad Fenton in the corners. You lose Bryson Allen Williams, obviously, at linebacker. You lose Steven Montak in the secondary. Other than that, your guys from a year ago are back, and they're healthy, and that's the biggest thing. So I'll be honest with you guys. I'm really, really excited. I talked about a little bit in the, uh, the actual predictions podcast, the two-part series with Brad Crawford, the predictions podcast. I'm very high on the defense this year. I, I, am, I don't think South Carolina's defense is getting enough love, and I, you know, I do understand why it's not simply because of the struggles they have had thus far in the Muschamp era, but – I think without a doubt, there's no doubt in my mind, this will certainly be the best defense of the Will Muschamp era. And again, I think it's the, the if not the best, the most athletic since 2013. The team, this, is, this defense has more athleticism and more just dudes who can go make plays than it has had since 2013, in my opinion. Um, obviously, the big storyline we're going to talk about leading off here for 2019 is just simply this. Can guys just stay healthy? I, I mean, health was such an issue a year ago. Um, and to me, it really all started, maybe, maybe we should have all seen it coming, 
when DJ Wanham went down the first week of the season. I think that's one that's just not talked about enough when we talk about last season. Um, you know, because of all the injuries that kind of, you know, because of all the injuries that kind of added up, if you will, and, you know, you almost kind of lost track of who was hurt, who was healthy, how many freshmen were out there, which guys weren't, which guys were. That DJ Wanham injury the first week of the season was one that I think took a much bigger toll on this Gamecocks defense than maybe we thought or were willing to admit that it would. Um, I know Will Muschamp was kind of playing the waiting game, had a little bit of gamesmanship with Georgia, basically saying he didn't know if DJ Wanham would be healthy for the Georgia game. And I, I was one that fully believed that Wanham would play. And then you come to find out he's out seven weeks. So that loss to me of DJ Wanham was a huge blow to a, a, you know, for last year, the prospects of last year's season, if you will. Um, and is another reason I'll say that I'm extremely excited about this year's defense is guys being healthy, a guy like DJ Wanham coming back for his senior season. But that's got to be a major storyline coming into this 2019 season. It's just simply can the guys stay healthy? Because South Carolina, like I mentioned, I think this is the most athletic defense and arguably the best defense they've had since that 2013 team. But they don't have a ton of depth. Let's not mistake that. They're good, but they don't have a ton of depth as far as second and third stringers that can come in and play as good as the ones. I don't think South Carolina is there quite yet. I think it's going to take two to three more years of recruiting. So being healthy, staying healthy is going to be a huge thing for this defense. It's just they've got to, you know, and I, I, I've said it before. I hate the people that blame Jeff Dillman for the injury issues, for, you know, what happened a year ago. Because, listen, a lot of the stuff is freak injuries. It just is. I mean, you play football, guys get hurt. Um, the way that it happened last year where it seemed like it was a bunch of guys at the same position. I mean, literally South Carolina, I thought I was going to have to go out there and play safety. I mean, I thought we were going to pull fans to come play defensive back because there were so many guys out last year. But, um, you know, staying healthy is a huge thing this year. And I don't know what, if anything, the guys changed over the offseason or if Jeff Dillman and his staff looked at anything. But, uh, that, I mean, that's going to be a huge thing because you, you will hear the complaints coming out if guys start falling again. I mean, you already heard – you already saw on social media people complaining when Jalen Dickerson, even though that was completely unrelated to anything that the training staff or anybody could do with his uh, bone growth on his femur. And that, that's something completely genetic that's going to keep him out for this entire season. But the Gamecocks, simply put, need to stay healthy. They're just simply not deep enough to go through and I, I don't care who it is I don't care if it's Alabama Clemson Georgia anybody in the country if they went through the type of, of type of injuries that South Carolina's defense went through a year ago that's gonna that's gonna take a toll on any team it's just it just is so the Gamecocks have got to stay healthy in 2019 uh, one of my other big storylines Javon Kinlaw um, obviously a guy that decided to return for his senior year is he set for a breakout season a guy that had a pretty good season last year I thought was solid for Carolina but was another one that you know, a little bit of inconsistent play. And I, I do think, a, you know, I think Javon Kinlaw maybe sort of gets kind of a, a bad rap, an unfair, unfairly bad rap, if you will, simply because one guy, one guy can't do it all on his own. I mean, when you have freshmen playing next to you, and last year it was uh, Ricky Sandage and J.J. Anigbare and those guys, I mean, it's going to be tough. They're going to double team you. You, know, you. you heard and saw Javon Kinlaw complaining about being held, which I certainly think he was held a lot at times last year, but – when you're the type of guy he is, you're going to get doubled and you're going to get hell. But I think this year, could Javon Kinlaw be set for a breakout year? We've seen different articles and things that Javon Kinlaw, I think, I certainly think he could potentially be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. I certainly think that's something that's realistic for him. Um, I, and without a doubt, I think he could be an all-SEC caliber guy. But he, 
I'm just very intrigued to see, can Javon Kinlaw bring it week in and week out and really step up and rise up to the challenge against the top competition, if you will? Because, you know, he had the one breakout game a year ago against Vanderbilt. Other than that, he was very hit or miss. He was very – he would make a couple plays, and then he'd disappear for a game. And you've got to be – he's got to be more consistent for South Carolina if they're going to have a big year on defense. I think he will. I think he's got the skill set, and obviously he transformed his body going into last year. And, you know, he was good. I'm not saying he wasn't good last year, but if he wants to be that first-round NFL kind of guy, if he wants to be that first-team All-SEC caliber guy, we just need to see a little bit more consistency. And I think – Javon Kinlaw could be primed for that breakout season. Again, not just because he's gotten better, but because I think he will have more help along the defensive front. Speaking of that defensive front, another big storyline this year, the seniors in the front seven. Will Muschamp talked about this a lot at SEC Media Days and basically said, listen, if we're going to have a good season on defense, these five seniors have got to play their tails off. They've got to be damn good for us. And that's Javon Kinlaw, Kier Thomas, Danny Fennell, Kobe Smith, and DJ Wanham. And I would agree with him. I mean, listen, this year, it's funny. This year kind of reminds me of 2017 when Will Muschamp basically made those exact same comments about Taylor Stallworth, Dante Sawyer. Um, I feel like uh, Ulrich Jones. He made that exact same comment about those guys. said, if we're going to have a good year on defense, our seniors have got to step up and play well. And they did that year. You'll remember Dante Sawyer, I believe, was tied, tied for the uh, – Tied for the lead in the country with, uh, I think, recovered fumbles with five, I believe, was the statistic. There are forced fumbles, if you will, whatever it was. But those guys stepped up and played well. They, they played very, very well. I, we need to see the same type of thing this year. I think all of these guys have potential. Ken Law, Thomas, Fennell, Smith, and Juan. They all have different things they bring to the table as far as skill set. But simply put, when you've got seniors like that up front, when you've got seniors in your front seven, I know the Gamecocks have, you know, some talented guys coming in. You think of the Joseph Andersons, the Zach Pickens, um, Rodriguez Fintons, those, those types of guys. It, they can only do so much as freshmen. You really need your senior guys to, to lead the way for you. And, and, again, it all starts with Javon Kinlaw in my mind. But, again, a guy like Keir Thomas, can he have his best season of football as a senior? Danny Fennell, a guy who battled injury a year ago that has been really a dependable player for the Gamecocks. I don't think he does anything really flashy, but a guy who's just solid. Can he have his best year in Garnet and Black? Kobe Smith, a guy that I think, especially in my mind, was very underrated a year ago. A guy that doesn't get talked about a ton because he plays next to Javon Kinlaw, but was solid for South Carolina. I believe uh, PFF did, Pro Football Focus, did a grade of the top returning guys from uh, South Carolina's defense. I believe he graded out second best on the Gamecocks defense a year ago, which I think if you ask any Gamecock fans, they probably would have never guessed that because you didn't really ever hear Kobe Smith's name. So can Kobe Smith have his best year? And then DJ Wanham, obviously. Can he be the guy? It's funny. I don't think DJ Wanham is getting nearly the respect, the talk that he should be. And I think a lot of it has to do, you know, just simply with the injury last year. And I think people are very wait and see with what is DJ Wanham going to do. But he is an all-SEC caliber talent. There is no question in my mind that DJ Wanham is an all-SEC caliber guy. So those seniors, to me, again, in the front seven, they all need to have their best years of football in Garnet and Black for this defensive front to – improve and have the type of season I know they want to have. Obviously, like I mentioned earlier, 195 yards per game rushing this defense allowed. That's got to get better. They know it's got to get better. We know it's got to get better. The coaches, everybody, everybody understands that's got to get better. And I think it starts with those seniors up there up front in the, uh, in the front seven. Um, another one that I know people want to talk about and, and one that deserves to be talked about is the linebacking core. This linebacking core was a 
abysmal at times a year ago. I mean, let's just not sugarcoat it. It was rough. It was very tough to watch. Um, obviously, T.J. Brunson returns for his senior season. He was named to a preseason All-SEC team. Um, outside of him, it's just been a very much a crapshoot. Obviously, the Gamecocks last year were trying to replace Sky Moore. And I think you just really saw the effects of him not being on the roster anymore. I think we sort of underestimated the type of toll it would take on this defense. And listen, I love T.J. Brunson. I think he's a very capable player, a solid player. But T.J. Brunson, I'm not sure that T.J. Brunson is Sky Moore. Um, granted, he did lead the Gamecocks in tackles a year ago, I believe with 106. I know he had over 100, and ta- 100 tackles. And I thought he got better as the season went. But he's another guy that needed some help. I mean, Sherrod Green has got to get better. Got to get better. He was a guy that I just constantly, you felt like every single week was out of position, making a boneheaded play. Um, a guy like Rosendo Lewis, in my opinion, needs to step up. A guy like Ernest Jones, who the staff has been really high on, needs to continue to develop. A guy like uh, Eldridge Thompson that I think is a very, very – it was huge at South Carolina, got him back for another year, um, I think can be solid for you at the linebacker position. But simply put, this linebacking core just all around, it's not even one guy. The entire core just needs to improve. I, they were just abysmal a year ago, and I think it's a reason you saw the rushing yards – the, the amount of rushing yards allowed was so inflated because, again, too often we saw the linebackers out of position. We saw them missing. I, I can't tell you the amount of times. I mean, you guys know. You watch the games. I can't tell you the amount of times I saw 44 miss a tackle. I can't tell you the amount of times I saw a linebacker miss a tackle, a linebacker out of position, a linebacker get, get burned in coverage. It just was a too often of a thing. So can this linebacking corpse – again, improve as a whole. Because, again, I, you know, I'm singling out a couple of different guys, but really it's this entire unit that, in my opinion, has got to get better. And, again, I will say it starts with T.J. Brunson. He's the leader. He's the veteran. He's the best of the group. And he needs to have his best year in Garnet and Black. There's no questions about it. But this entire core needs to get better. And I think it's going to go a long way, again, in South Carolina success because stopping the run game is going to be a point of emphasis for these guys coming into this season. And it's just going to be hard to do that if you don't have the linebackers that can step up in a hole and, and make a tackle. Um, another big thing, another big storyline heading, heading into 2019, the secondary. I think the secondary, if you talk to any Gamecock fan, their face, they, they kind of light up. I think the secondary could be the strength of this team this year. Just going down the list, J.C. Horn, Israel Mukwamu, R.J. Roderick, the young guys in Shiloh Sanders, Jamie Robinson, John Dixon, Jamias Williams is back as well. Um, and then probably some others I'm forgetting to mention. But, uh, you know, I, I think you've got to be really excited if you're a Gamecock fan about – and when I talked about earlier the athleticism of the defense and the best defense possible since 2013, but mainly the athleticism of the defense, this is kind of what I'm talking about. This is definitely what I'm talking about, I should say. Um, J.C. Horn and Israel Mukwamu to me, have the, ability, have the opportunity to be the best one-two punch in regards to corners in the SEC – or one of the best tandems in the SEC. I think R.J. Roderick is a guy at safety that is 100% being slept on. I, I just I, – he was he, – he brings that – he brings that, that mentality that I think this South Carolina defense has lacked for so long that a guy like D.J. Swearinger had. Um, a guy that's really – I don't want to say a headhunter because you don't want to get ejected for targeting, but he's a guy looking to lay the blow. I mean, period, point blank. We all remember the Akron game where he lays the dude out and basically just – pulls the Allen Iverson walking right over him. I mean, that's the type of dude R.J. Roderick is. Bring back that mentality, that swag to the defense. Again, 
the biggest question mark with the secondary. And one other guy I want to mention as well, Jamel Cook, I think could be a big guy. Jamel Cook could be someone. Uh, JT Ebay as well comes back for another year, I think is a very solid addition. Somebody didn't get to play a lot last year because of injuries, but I think a guy who's solid, but Jamel Cook, who had a big-time spring game, can he translate that over into the season? Jamias Williams to me. Jamias Williams is such a wild card this year. He's such a wild card. I, it's crazy. If you guys go back and listen to – the defense preview podcast. If you go back and listen to um, any of the podcasts I had last year before the season talking about defense, I was extremely, extremely high on Jamias Williams. I thought Jamias Williams was going to be no doubt an all SEC caliber player. I thought hundred percent. He's going to be all SEC first team. He's that kind of athlete. And you, if you remember, he was moved from corner to safety. And I just don't think that trend – and, again, he was another guy that battled injury a year ago. I get it. But I don't think that transition went over as smoothly as they maybe expected. Um, I know right now I believe he's actually still listed at, I think, either nickel or safety. I don't have the depth chart pulled up. But either way, Jamias Williams is a wild card, in my opinion. Is he going to return to that freshman year form? I mean, because this was a highly, very highly touted recruit out of the state of Georgia. You know, a guy that Georgia wanted, Georgia was going after. Can Jamias Williams live up to that billing? Can he be that guy? Can he be that ball hawk type dude that I think we saw flashes of in 2017? Or is he a guy that's going to get lost in the shuffle? So, kind of similar to what happened last year. Because I just don't think he was very – I don't think he was very good a year ago. And I didn't really like him at safety. So, to me, he's very much a wild card. And then, again, like I mentioned earlier, I, I talked about the young guys, Shiloh Sanders, Jimmy Robinson, John Dixon, Cam Smith's another one. I can't believe I forgot to list his name here. Cam Smith is a guy that I think could have a J.C. Horn-type freshman year. That's the only thing with the secondary that I would say the, the best and worst thing about this secondary is the young talent. Because it's the best, obviously, because the Gamecocks have some athletes. I mean, period, point blank. They've got some athletes who can go out and make plays. The bad part is, is that young talent is going to be forced to play immediately. Um, I, I think you're going to see – a maybe all of those guys hit the field. I mean, obviously, we're not going to know who's ready to play. Will Muschamp will make those decisions. But I think you're going to see at least three or four of those guys hit the field and play significant, significant minutes for South Carolina. Um, like, I talked about depth a little bit earlier, but depth can, is, is a bit of an issue here in the secondary because, again, if a guy goes down, you're replacing with a freshman. And, I mean, there's nowhere to hide in the SEC. So, to me, again, I think it could be the strength of the team right there next to the front seven. I think a lot of people are saying the defensive line is going to be the strength of the defense, if not the team. But, you know, to me, I, I love this secondary. I love what Will Muschamp is building in the secondary. I really do. All the athletes he has brought in, guys that I think were legitimate, big-time recruits that, again, you know, J.C. Horner, Israel McQuamu, they have the chance to be the best one-two punch in the SEC, if not college football, in my opinion. Um, so I'm I'm extremely intrigued to see what J.C. Horn does for for an encore for what he did last year. Um, it's insane to think he didn't get an interception a year ago. I, I'll be very interested to see how how quickly how long does it take J.C. Horn to get a pick in 2019? We should have like an over under bet for that. But uh, you, you've got to be excited when you look at the secondary. When you just look at the athletes South Carolina's got. When you look at the guys coming back. You look at the the new guys, the youngsters. I think there's a lot to be optimistic about when you take a look at the secondary. Um, another big storyline for me, I talked about a little bit earlier. Can South Carolina get back to 2017 form in regards to the turnovers, in, in regards to getting the ball off of people? Because 
listen, people want to call it a fluke, I guess, in 2017 or say that that nine-win season, you know, was off of turnovers. And, we, you know, we had Michael Felder on this show last year, and he basically said, you know, turnovers are luck and you got to be in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I partially agree with that, but I also believe that great teams make their own luck. They're in the right position. They're, they're, they're playing their assignments. They're getting the football off of people. They're making things happen. So I think it goes both ways. Um, if South Carolina would have had the type of production – from their defense a year ago as they had in 2017 in regards to turnovers. Um, I, I truly believe South Carolina is an eight, nine, nine win team. I, I really believe that. I mean, I think the turnovers sort of masked some dis- deficiencies in 2017 and made the Gamecocks a seven or eight win team, if you will. So for South Carolina to have the type of year that we all want them to have, which I know a lot of Gamecock fans are thinking seven, eight, some of you have been bold enough to say nine wins. If South Carolina is going to win more than seven games, they're going to have to be good at getting the football off of people and steal some games because they force turnovers. Um, I forget the statistic that Will Muschamp said, but the Gamecocks, when they went, I believe last year they were 7-0 and when they won the turnover margin. And 0-6 and when they didn't. And I, that just, I mean, that goes both ways with offense and defense. Offense not turning it over, defense getting the ball. But, I mean, that, that speaks volumes right there to what South Carolina needs to do in regards to defensively and for regards to getting the football off field and getting back to that 2017 form. Because, again, for a defense that maybe doesn't have as much depth as you would like, for a defense to have some youngsters playing, if you can force those turnovers, you can give your offense multiple opportunities, you're going to put yourself in a great position to have a great season. Um, lastly, one of my other top storylines is just the young talent. Young talent looks to shine. Again, I talked about a little bit earlier. Zach Pickens, Joseph Anderson, Jaquel Sorrells, uh, Derek Boykins, Rodriguez Fitton. I talked about the defensive backs, Roderick, Shiloh, Jamie, Dixon, Cam Smith. I mean, there's a lot of young talent on this defense. Um, how much we get to see of that talent, which guys break the two deep, I think all that stuff's very – which of those guys can have an impact their first year um, is going to be very interesting because I think there's going to be some guys that are going to play immediately. I, I will be shocked if Zach Pickens is not in the Gamecocks too deep, at least their rotation from day one. I'd be shocked. Um, I think Joseph Anderson's a guy that's maybe been a little bit slept on, a little bit overshadowed because of Zach Pickens. Um, Rodriguez Fitton is a guy that I feel like Will Muschamp really likes to talk about, and I think a guy he's really excited for as far as a pass rusher. Derek Boykins, the linebacker position, is a guy that we've, we've heard a lot about, has great size, is a big hitter. Um, so I'm very just curious to see how this young talent does for South Carolina. Um, because, again, you've got a lot of guys training. 16 of your top 20 tacklers are back. But uh, I think some of your best players, at least most talented on this 2019 defense, may be the youngsters. Um, so, we'll see. I, it's just going to be very interesting. Again, I, I know Gamecock fans were so excited following these guys in the recruiting process. It's great to see them actually put on the garnet and black, get on the field and show what they can do. And, again, I think South Carolina's got some guys on this defense that are going to be first-year players that can make plays, though. I think they can make an impact this year. Um, all right, let's get into why they'll be better, why they'll be worse, this 2019 defense. To me, why the Gamecocks' 2019 defense could be better is the 2018 growing pains finally pay off. And what I mean by that is, listen, South Carolina, due to the injuries, the Gamecocks were forced to play a lot of guys that they didn't expect to play, a lot of guys that they did not think would get on the field. Um, I, I just – I think of – I think to week two against Georgia last year when J.J. and Igbari, and Ricky Sandage are getting shoved around. I mean, flat out shoved around. There's one play specifically where Rick Sandage is thrown to the ground on his back. He is pancaked on his back. 
But I think one reason the Gamecocks could be better is because the licks that the Gamecocks took off took, or the game the licks the Gamecocks took a year ago could pay off this year. I'm extremely excited to see a guy like Rick Sanage, to see a guy like JJ Anigbare, to see those other guys on the defensive front, to see those linebackers, to see those guys in the secondary, the guys that were forced into action. They're going to be that much better this year because of that experience. So again, you had to take your licks a year ago, but I think it honestly may pay off this year and in the long run because those guys aren't freshmen anymore. Those guys are groomed veterans. They know what it takes to play at this level. They've obviously gotten in the weight room, gotten bigger, faster, stronger. And again, like I keep talking about it. I, I really keep talking about it. But a guy like Rick Sandage, um, a guy like Rick Sandage is someone I'm very excited for. A guy that was a huge, big-time prospect at the Concord, North Carolina, and someone that, again, I, I think could – I don't expect him to start. I think he'll be behind Javon Kinlaw, but could be – very good and gives the Gamecocks very much quality depth in the defensive line. But again, I think those growing pains could very much so pay off and make the Gamecocks even better in 2019. Why they'll be worse or why the Gamecocks defense in 2019 could be worse, the lack of depth. The lack of depth to me is the biggest thing. If the injury bug finds its way back into the South Carolina locker room once again, the lack of depth will kill them. The lack of depth will kill this team if injuries hit once again. Um, Simply put, like I mentioned, I think this is the most talented Gamecocks defense in 2013. I think it might be the best. Now, they've got to go prove that. But talented, athletic, I think all of that. They check all the boxes. But the one thing you can't beat is injuries. And if the Gamecocks find themselves, you know, snake-bitten again by the injury bug, it's just going to be really tough to field enough guys, enough quality guys to compete week in and week out at a high level. So, really, I, I think that's the only thing that is stopping this defense from being above average in 2019 is simply just health. I think if they have all their guys healthy, I think this defense, and that's my prediction for the 2019 unit, I think this defense is certainly going to be better than it was a year ago. I don't think this defense will give up 27 points per game. Um, I think everything will go down. I think the points per game will go down. I think South Carolina will get better. It has to get better against the rush. You can't give up almost 200 yards rushing per game and expect to be worth a, worth a damn on defense. Um, the 26 sacks number, I think they'll be right at that number again. Um, I thought that was a decent number a year ago. I mean, not great, two sacks per game. But uh, I think they'll, they'll float at that number. If they could get to 30, I think that would be a big accomplishment for this defense. But I, I think they'll get better all across the board. And the turnover margin, I, listen, I want to say they'll get better there. I want to say they'll get better there. You think, I mean, again, they're bringing in better players. You've got uh, more talent, more skill, more athleticism. The turnover margin should get better. I mean, especially the turnovers the defense itself forces should get better. I mean, it should get better, but you got to go on the field and prove it. So, again, um, the lack of depth could kill this team, but if this team stays healthy, again, I, I'm like I've mentioned a hundred times on this show, I'm extremely excited for this 2019 defense. And I think we're really this year going to finally see a Will Muschamp type of defense. We haven't really seen that. We haven't seen that since Will Muschamp got to Carolina. I think it's simply because he has not – he's been having to build up, build up his guys. I think it's much harder. I will say, I think it is harder to build a defense than an offense. Because I think on an offense, if you have one or two skill guys, one or two skill guys can mask a lot of deficiencies you have. They can make you look a lot better than maybe you really are. I mean, on defense, you can have one or two good skill guys, but if you don't have the guys in the trenches – like, if you don't have four guys across the line of scrimmage that can all compete, 
you're just going to get shoved around. And, I mean, there's no DB in college football that can cover a guy for six, seven seconds. So, to me, I think you're going to see a much more Will Muschamp type of defense. I think you're going to see, again, if you're a Gamecock fan sitting in Williams-Brice Stadium, if you're in Charlotte at opening game, whenever you're watching the Gamecocks, you're going to see more athleticism. You're going to see as much talent as you've seen since 2013. I think there's going to be just a different type of energy with this defense. I really do. I'm very excited about it. I think the defense, again, when I was picking, when I was making my predictions for the 2019 season, I was very conservative in the way I thought this defense would play. Because I'm a show-me kind of guy. Like, as far as the predictions, before I make predictions that the Gamecocks are going to, you know, shut everybody out, I need to see it. I need to see what this defense is going to be like. But I'm saying this defense has the potential to be very good for South Carolina and to make this a special season, honestly. I really do. If they can stay healthy, if guys can if, – if the seniors in the front seven, if guys can pan out the way we expect, if some guys can grow up in the secondary pretty quickly and play some meaningful minutes, I think South Carolina can have a special year on defense. So, all right, let's get into some listener questions. Not a ton of listener questions and no voicemails. I guess everybody was busy or scared to call in or just didn't want to talk defense. Either way, appreciate you guys leaving your questions. I'm very excited, by the way, kind of a random side note. I'm very excited for the voicemails coming into this season and throughout the season. I, 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 you guys listening, I really enjoy the voicemails. The voicemails are funny. Like, honestly, if I had my way with this podcast, I would have a live call-in type of show where you guys could call in, we could banter back and forth, talk crap, whatever, figure stuff out. I would love that. And if I ever figure out that capability, I will make it happen. But just so you guys know, to encourage you, I like the voicemails. If you want to call in, leave voicemails, please do so. They can be up to three minutes long. Love to hear you guys' feedback and love to just kind of get some talking points because there are some things that either I don't address or maybe forget to discuss that you guys bring up that uh, in the listener questions that, you know, make for really great discussion. So, again, don't be afraid to call in. Leave a voicemail every now and then. Um, all right, Bledsoe1218, how many interceptions do you think Mook and JC get this year combined? That is a very good question. Um, if I had to set the over-under right now, Let's see, Mook had one a year ago. JC had zero. Obviously, I think both guys will improve in those numbers. I'd set the over-under at – oh, man. I'd set it at probably five and a half. I think five and a half. I would. Because I could see both guys being around two, three picks. Now, will they get any more? You have to think if a guy is over three interceptions, he's probably – top three in the SEC in picks as well, so which would be a very much a breakout year. Um, I think over under five and a half, though, for those guys combined, I think is a good number there. But if I had to guess the number, I'd probably say five. I think – I don't know who will have more, but one guy will have three, one guy will have two. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, Hunter Teams with the question I feel like everybody wants to ask, how are you feeling about our chances with Jordan Birch? I've said before, I feel good about it. I still feel good about it. Um, it's just kind of wait and see. I mean, you never know with this kid. Nobody knows. I feel like nobody knows right now. This kid's taking visits all over the place. You know, right now all we can do is see. I still feel good about it. I mean, I feel like South Carolina's got as good a shot as anybody. So, I'm an optimistic guy. I mean, I feel good about it. But uh, I don't know when we're going to know. I I wish he'd just go ahead and announce so we could know, so we could end the drama. But uh, who knows? We'll see. Um, R. McMillan, 13. What is Javon Kinlaw's ceiling this year? both regular season performance and draft-wise. His ceiling, 
is very high in my opinion. I, I think Javon Kinlaw again can have a huge, huge year for South Carolina. And again, I think he'll have a much bigger year if the guys around him get better as well and stay healthy, obviously, stuff. But if the defensive line and the defensive front around Javon Kinlaw is better, he will be much better. His numbers will, will skyrocket because, again, it's tough when you're the only guy, you know, when you're the guy up there and you're getting doubled and sometimes tripled, you're getting held. I mean, I mean it, it's going to be tough to make plays and put up numbers. I, if, if you can have some guys step up, like I talked about, like a Ricky Sanders, J.J. Anigbari, if you can have a guy um, like Keir Thomas, D.J. Wan, all the guys I talked about, if you can have those guys step up, it's only going to open up more one-on-one matchups for Javon Kinlaw, in my opinion. So I, I think the ceiling, the sky's the limit for Javon Kinlaw as far as his performance for South Carolina, as far as his draft stock. I think God, there are already guys saying he's a first-round talent. Um, I think he can make himself a lot of money this season, no doubt about it, if he can have a good year. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, truly believe for Javon Kinlaw, the sky's the limit, no doubt. Um, John underscore Wilgus underscore IV, the hype train for throwback uniforms are real. We've needed some new alternates. Yeah, if you guys didn't see, obviously, throughout the picture this, this week, if you're listening to this, I feel like everybody saw this. The, uh, the picture, the, uh, the, the, the uniform that was just sitting there in the front of the game day store outside of Williams-Brice Stadium, the black throwback uni to the 1987 uniforms the Gamecocks wore. Um, I'm not going to confirm or deny any reports that the Gamecocks will or will not be wearing those jerseys. But uh, I will say that you are correct. South Carolina has been needing some throwbacks. We've been asking for throwbacks nonstop. The 150, 150th year of college football is this year, and I'll just say this. You never know what might happen. So I'm going to leave it at that. Um, all right, so got a fantastic interview for you guys. Former Gamecocks linebacker Corey Miller. Corey, an awesome guy, man. We had an awesome conversation. He's actually someone that I know you guys are probably familiar with. He's still very involved in the Gamecock media community. Um, I know he just retired, I believe, from Watch Fox. He was doing stuff with Fox in the Columbia, South Carolina area. But a guy that has been in the South Carolina media game, I think, since the early 2000s, someone that Gamecock fans have grown very familiar with, was a fantastic player back in his day as well for the Gamecocks, the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, had a great NFL career as well, nine-year NFL career. We talk about all that and more. Um, in a fantastic interview, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one I recommend. SeatGeek, they've got tickets to literally anything and everything. Guys, it's time to start buying your Gamecocks football tickets. Football kickoff is only 37 days away. If you don't have your tickets yet to the game in Charlotte, if you don't have your tickets yet to the home opener, to the Alabama game, go to SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. Now, a lot of you are asking, Chris, I've already got SeatGeek. I can't use this. I've already bought something. It's not my first purchase. All right, do this for me. Download SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Create a new account. Use a different email. Boom, you can use the promo code and you're getting $10 off. Why not save $10 in the process when you're buying these tickets? It's that simple. It's just really that easy. Do you not like saving money? Go do it. Go use the promo code. Like I said, They've got tickets to anything. So, I mean, if you're not going to the South Carolina game for whatever reason, if you want to go to a Major League Baseball game, if you want to go to some NFL preseason, if you want to go when NHL comes back around, NBA, a concert, comedy club events, um, you know, you name it. Anything and everything you need tickets to, SeatGeek is going to have it. They've got a great ticket rating system. They rate the tickets for you. So, for the game in Charlotte, for example, you can actually rate the tickets based on the deal score. So what's the best value for the ticket based on where you're sitting, what you're paying? 
they make it super simple, super easy for you. You have that peace of mind before you click the buy button. It's really that easy. So again, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks linebacker, Corey Miller. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 1988 to 1990. He registered 187 total tackles, 15 tackles for loss, 10 sacks, and two interceptions over his South Carolina career. He was also taken the sixth round of the 1991 NFL draft and spent nine years in the NFL with the New York Giants and the Minnesota Vikings in New York. He actually won the Super Bowl with the Giants in 1991. Uh, he's also a very recognizable voice, someone that Gamecock fans are very familiar with from spending time in the Columbia media market. I'm very excited to welcome the show, former Gamecocks defender, Corey Miller. Corey, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Glad to be on with you, and uh, Spurs up, brother. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely, Spurs up. So, Corey, I want to talk about you specifically first, your Gamecock career, obviously. Let's go back. You're a local guy. You're from Pageland, South Carolina. Um, your freshman year you got on campus, 1988. Just talk about your recruitment to South Carolina. Again, I talked about your local um, was it ever a doubt for you that you were going to be a Gamecock, or what was that recruitment like for you, and why'd you choose USC? Yeah, you know, growing up in Pageland, uh, really, really big Gamecock country, but down there, my high school coach, Al Usher, I was a linebacker at the University of South Carolina, I believe, in the late 60s, early 70s, and, and of course, uh, you know, when I was coming up, you know, playing in middle school and a little peewee league, I mean, they had their eye on me for a long time and could not wait to I became a Central High Eagle, and, of course, I started playing varsity in the eighth grade. And, um, you know, Coach Usher and the coaching staff always took me down to a camp with Joe Morrison. And, in fact, Joe Morrison offered me a scholarship, I think it was like my sophomore year, maybe even my freshman year. He was like, son, you know, you got a scholarship at the University of South Carolina, and, and uh, hopefully you'll follow your coach's footsteps and be a Gamecock. And, you know, I was coming down here all the time and, and just uh, hanging around the players, even in high school, guys like Sterling Sharp and, you know, the Harold Greens, even older guys, you know, Roy Philpotts and, uh, you know, those types of guys that I got to know even while I was in high school coming to the games. And, and I just fell in love with it in 2001, you know, running out of that tunnel. Uh, Tony Guyton is a guy that I remember. He's a defensive end slash linebacker. He was always come out of that tunnel and smoke. And, you know, he'd do his little, little shooting things with his hands and, uh, it just became contagious, and what a great fan base uh, in Columbia, and uh, it was a place that, you know, I wanted to go play and represent, uh, you know, Paisley and, and the state of South Carolina as a Gamecock, and of course, on the, the story goes on from, from there, having a really good career at the University of South Carolina. No doubt. You, you talked, Corey, about Coach Joe Morrison, and I'm going to get to in just a little bit what happened, obviously, in spring of 89. But just talk, kind of talk about your relationship with Joe Morrison, obviously someone who's still revered to this day to Gamecock fans. I mean, the literally the Carolina script that South Carolina is using now comes from Joe Morrison, the man in black. But j just talk about your relationships for, with him and what your interactions were like with him. Love Joe. I loved him a great deal. Um, you know, like I said, he was uh, the first guy that to offer me a scholarship. And, uh, you know, I knew uh, his wife. I, you know, I just knew all about him. And he was just a great man. And, uh, you know, what he represented, he was turning the program around at USC. I really believe had he not died, uh, that program would have definitely done many great things. We're top ten uh, every year that I was there until he passed away. So we had good football team, good athletes. And, 
you know, he was Joe, you know, all black, sunglasses, and you know, he smoked a cigarette down in the end zone. I mean, that's that's just who he was, And but he was a player's coach, and I just remember he loved the guys. He was a former player himself, New York Giants, and uh, he loved his players. The guys would get in trouble, and he, you know, the police, uh, he'd be, he'd call the station to make sure they got him out of jail or did whatever he needed to do to take care of his guys, and, and he would discipline them, uh, make them, you know, four or five in the morning, like Ryan Matei, running those stadium steps. I mean, you know, doing whatever he had to do to make you think about the next time you got in trouble. But he always backed the players, and, and uh, it was a sad day back in 1989 when he passed away. I'll never forget that that, uh, that day when we got the call. To, we had a meeting, and a team meeting, to find out he had passed away playing racquetball. So uh, no no doubt things changed. You know, Sparky was coming in, and the program definitely went in the opposite direction. Without a doubt. So I want to jump into that 1988 season for you, Corey. Obviously, you did play as a true freshman. I was taking a look at your stats. You actually had a really solid year as a freshman, 34 total tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, you know, two picks. Um, just kind of talk about what was the plan for how South Carolina was going to use you? Because I know I was taking a look. You played some defensive line. You played linebacker. Obviously, throughout your NFL career, you were a linebacker. I mean, what was, what was the plan for you? I mean, what was the plan to play you early and often? Well, I came there you know, just to go back in 1987, and back then I was a Proposition 48 kid. So I was there in 1987. I just could not play. I had to uh, prove myself academically. Uh, so I was on the team in 1987, uh, but my first year playing was 1988. And, and so it was a very uh, uh, kind of a crazy year for me. I was playing by kind of behind Kevin Hendricks and some of those guys uh, to start with. But, but as the year went on, I, I started getting starts. Um, so, you know, I haven't played, you know, football uh, in a couple of years um, because I had to sit out and I put weight on. I got big and strong. and and uh, But it was uh, it was tough early on learning the speed of the game. I mean, coming from a 2A high school and, you know, now you're playing, you know, teams like Florida State and North Carolina, Miami, Nebraska, those types of teams. You know, it was it was very difficult early on. But I, I got a grasp of it and started making some plays and, of course, became – uh, the incumbent and end up starting a lot of football games for the University of South Carolina after that. No doubt. So I want to talk about, Corey, the, the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry. Obviously, I know while you were at Carolina, uh, I guess in 87, the Gamecocks got the win in that one. But uh, 88 through 90, it didn't go the way you guys wanted. But uh, anyways, just talk about as someone that grew up in the state, you know, familiar with USC football, what the, what the Carolina-Clemson rivalry was like for you as someone that I'm sure it hit really close to home for. It was big, you know, being from South Carolina, as you stated, uh, you know, it, it meant a whole lot, maybe more so than guys that came from other places, you know. Uh, we knew it was about bragging rights, you know. It was kind of the state was divided, you know, orange and going in and black, and, you know, what side of the fence were you on? So it meant a whole lot, and, and of course, both teams back in those days, uh, the roster was full of South Carolinian players. I mean, so, uh, you know, it was guys you played against in high school, so, I would say probably the team was made up 70, 80% of guys from the state of South Carolina back in those days. So the, the, the bragging rights went deep. And, of course, you played in all-star games. I mean, I was roommates with David Davis. He ended up going to, to Clemson. Uh, you know, I played against, you know, at Lamar High School. And, of course, you had LeVon Kirkland. He ended up going to Clemson. You know, I played against Batesburg, Leesville. You know, Ed McDaniel, he's another linebacker. He went to Clemson, so I was the only one that went to South Carolina. So you had all those 
those things going on, but they got the best of me. They won several ACC championships, uh, and, uh, of course, I only got that one win my freshman year, so uh, they got the best of me. But uh, it's a big-time rival, man, and a lot of families, and everybody's divided when you talk about South Carolina and Clemson. For sure. So, Corey, we, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but I, I want to talk about the death of Joe Morrison in February of 1989 because I, I'm very interested to get your take. I've never had someone on the show that was actually playing for South Carolina during that time when that happened. And, you know, it's crazy because I think of, you know, current day and I can't fathom that type of thing happening. You know what I mean? I just can't fathom that happening. So I just can't even imagine – you know, what the impact felt across Gamecock Nation was like. But just just talk about – try to walk me through kind of when that happened, I guess maybe how you learned the news. But how how was – how did you personally and how was South Carolina football able able to, you know, at least try to patch the pieces together and recover from that? Yeah, I mean, it was tough, man. I, I, it's one of the toughest things that, uh, you know, as a young 19-year-old, uh, you had to go through. I mean, you know, you experience your coach dying. Um, you know, it's all good. Things are great. You're going through, you just went through, you know, the winter workouts, you're down to spring and, you know, getting ready for spring ball, that type of thing. And, you know, you're coming off campus from class, taking the little shuttlecock back and you get over to the roofs and, and they get this news. I mean, it was just, uh, uh, it was devastating to say the least. And, uh, you know, how guys going to deal with it? Who's going to be the coach to, you know, you, you've accepted to play ball there at South Carolina for four or five years, and, um, you know, now what's going to happen? You know, so all these things, emotions are going through your mind. You know, am I going to transfer? I mean, guys are talking about all this, all kinds of conversations, you know. You know, am I going to transfer? I'm going to this school. I'm going to that school. I'm, you know, who's going to be the coach? Uh, and then you're hurt. I mean, you know, how do you feel with the wife and the family? I mean, it, it was – I mean, it was just as bad as losing a loved one because, you know, a team is family, man. And, and so it was one of those things, uh, you know, you had to try to grieve and you had to try to get over it. And you still, you know, football, you got to get back to football. You know, how do you do that? Um, and it's very obvious that the program definitely took a step back after his death. I mean, you bring in Sparky Woods. You know, this guy coming from App State has some success there. Uh, but you know how it is, to be honest with you, the respect level wasn't there. You're getting a coach from a small school uh, coming to be your coach. And, I mean, so guys didn't buy in, and you know the struggles. Well, what Sparky was, you know, guys walking out a few years later uh, saying they weren't going to play. I mean, there's a lot of different things uh, that, that happened to Gamecock football after the death of Joe Marshall. And I can tell you, uh, it was not easy. And uh, we didn't do a good job of really dealing with it because I thought the program – definitely took a step or two backwards no doubt so I will say going into that 89 season one thing that did not suffer was that uh, was your play personally I know again talking about just the tough transition from uh you know after Joe Morrison's death to Sparky Woods um your play on the field however though Corey did not suffer you actually had a really good season in 89 I would say you know you can disagree with me if you want but I would say arguably your best as a Gamecock I mean 77 total tackles Six tackles for loss, seven sacks. Uh, what, uh, I guess, what's, I'm not sure what changed for you, but in your game, what do you think led to the increase in uh, statistics? Was it simply more playing time or development in your game? What, what would you say led to such a successful year in 1989? Uh, just a lot of hard work. I mean, you know, I just dedicated to finally getting comfortable. You know, I, I started, like you said, those games – uh, in 88 so you know now I was looked upon as a leader and 
Uh, you know, I felt very comfortable. Uh, you know, they moved me around a lot. You know, I, I had a, you know, some people can say it's a good thing when you when you're very athletic, uh, but I thought it hurt me uh, uh, really a little bit because, you know, I was an outside linebacker. I mean, I could play inside, I could play outside, I played defensive end. Heck, I haven't played tight end. I kicked off. A lot of people don't know that. You know, during the, my time in South Carolina with Colin Mackey, you know, you know, Hall of Fame kicker. I mean, I was kicking off. Uh, so I mean, you know, I did a lot of different things, but that year was special because they kind of let me play that year. Uh, and then they came in and they switched the defense around, and they ended up moving me more so to a defensive end full time, um, a five technique end, which you know didn't take advantage of my speed, my athleticism, and my quickness. You know, I wasn't asked to do a lot more uh, blitzing and that type of thing. Which when we had Jolie done, I could turn loose a little bit. Uh, so my numbers dropped. Uh, uh, about 89 was a special year. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Georgia playing Georgia was probably one of my greatest games at Georgia. Between the hedges, we went down there and knocked them out. Um, I had a really, really good year. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was all elementary, all American, and you know, all South independent. Of course, I made it my last two years, uh, but my numbers dropped off from a sack and, and tackle. Uh, perspective because one uh, they moved my position and two I end up getting hurt so I guess Virginia Tech I end up tearing my meniscus so I played the rest of the, uh, my senior year uh, with a torn meniscus in my knee I didn't practice during the week I just played in the game getting shot up uh, just to get through uh, and that also hurt my draft status so you know I had to I had that happen toward the end but you know, I wouldn't change a thing, man. I, you know, I had a phenomenal career. I only got to play three years in South Carolina, but that's okay. Uh, great teammates, uh, great friends. Uh, of course, uh, on the field, didn't turn out the way we wanted because I thought we we had the talent to be a really, really good football team. But, you know, when Joe passed away and Sparky came in my final two years, um, I just honestly tell you that the respect level wasn't there. He lost the football team. Um, guys didn't want to perform, and I was a captain. Uh, you know, so we had a lot of issues internally uh, that was going on that I thought affected, you know, everybody's play on the field. So it was pretty tough. For sure. So, Corey, I already mentioned the South Carolina-Clemson game and how big that, that one is. Another one for South Carolina fans, I mean, to this day, that's a huge game, is the South Carolina-Georgia game. And I want to backtrack a little bit before, because I forgot to ask you. You know, you talked about some of the reasons you chose South Carolina, the, the passion of Gamecock fans, you know, running out to 2001. That 1988 Georgia game um, was a big one. Obviously, it was on national TV, on TBS. Um, South Carolina comes yep. in. You guys were 14th ranked in the country. Georgia was sixth in the country. And you guys get the win 23 to 10 in front of a sold-out crowd. Just talk about, you know, we'll say specifically that day, but also just, you know, the passion of Gamecock fans and playing at williams Bryce Stadium and running out to 2001. I mean, try to describe, you know, what that feeling is like for people that will never get to do that. Electric. I mean, it was absolutely electric, and uh, that was another great game, too, I, I, that I played. And, uh, you know, Georgia came in, you know, the studs. I mean, Tim Worley, Rodney Hampton, who was my teammate with the Giants, uh, Keith Henderson. I mean, they had three running backs that can just flat out get it. An athletic quarterback, uh, big tight ends. I mean, it was a physical physical football game it was none of this hurry up spread you around and zone reads and all this stuff it was ground and pound football let's put your big boy pads on and the Gamecock fans they had their big boy cheering pads on because they were loud they made it extremely hard for them to get calls out I mean it was 
Kim was really good because we had a really good defense. And, um, you know, Patrick Hinton, myself, Marty Dye, I mean, Kurt Wilson. I mean, we had guys that come, and they'd come up and lay that thumper on you. Uh, and we got after them. I mean, we got after those running backs. And, uh, of course, I'll never forget that day. I think from recovery, I think I had a sack sold too in that game uh, as well. But the fans, I mean, it's been the same with they, what they are now. I mean, Gamecock fans are very loyal. And uh, and they're just, I mean, I, I just wait for the day that they can have a run, you know, like Clemson is having right now. And I wait for the day they can get back to where they, they're having 11 or 12 wins and finishing in the top 10, maybe even winning the final, their first SEC championship. This fan base is the, the most loyal in the country, and I've been around. Uh, you know, been with my son at Alabama I'm for five years, going to all of their games pretty much, and I've seen the best programs in the country. But none are as loyal and are as loud as Gamecock football fans. And that's a tremendous uh, accomplishment. Being that South Carolina has been just above average football team, and, and I'm just being honest. But they are loyal, and they deserve a championship. And, and I believe that Will Muschamp and the staff at South Carolina, they're trending now in the right direction, spending the right money uh, with the ops building and all that great stuff. And I think they're well on their way to doing something great in the near future. But that game, I tell you what, man, I go back on YouTube and I watch it. I do. I watch it all the time because it was a special game in South Columbia, South Carolina. Then we turn around and go between the hedges and beat them again the, the next year. Mm-hmm. So I had a good run. I didn't have a great run against Clemson, but I had a great run against those Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, and, and who led the Gamecocks at quarterback in 1988 and 89 was your, was your friend and former teammate Todd Ellis. I want to ask you about him because I think it's interesting. Both you guys, um, again, we're on those 88 and 89 teams together. Um, and you're both still very involved in, you know, Gamecock Nation with you obviously, you know, having – spending time in the Columbia media market and then Todd Ellis obviously being the voice of the Gamecocks. I mean, I mean talk about – what your relationship was like with Todd back when you guys were playing together and then now currently now that you're both uh, serving in different roles but still involved with the Gamecocks? Yeah, you know, Todd has definitely, you know, put up some big, big big-time numbers. Uh, You know, that run-and-shoot offense that we had, and he had some great people to throw the football to, you know, Sterling Sharp, Ryan Buffet, you know, Harden Brown. I mean, I can go on Danny White. I mean, we had a lot of great receivers. Robert Brooks uh, back in the day. Um, you know, he was a great leader for our offense, uh, came from Greensboro page high school. And, uh, you know, he was a, he was a big time player, you know, unfortunately he hurt his knee, uh, you know, and uh, of course probably hurt his NFL future, but a career, I should say, excuse me, but uh, he was a good guy. He and I worked together, uh, back when they started doing TV for the Gamecocks. He, you know, we did all of those, those games together. So we had, we spent a lot of time in the booth, you know, talking Gamecock football, Back in the day, with Lou Holtz was the coach, uh, so I really enjoyed working with Todd. He's doing a great job today uh, as the voice of the Gamecocks. You know, I think it's pretty awesome being a former player that he's able to do that and, and be a great lawyer in town as well. So, uh, you know, and that's a great thing I tell people about South Carolina. You know, uh, a lot of great athletes have come through Columbia, South Carolina. A lot of great athletes that play in the National Football League, and a lot of great athletes that stay in Columbia. And I and I would beg to say that. Out of all the SEC teams, there's no team that has as many former players that are right there in the city that's come back to the city of Columbia. And Todd Ellis, Todd Ellis excuse me, and myself kind of represents that. Going on to do great things professionally, but yet still come back and be a part of Gamecock Nation in Columbia, South Carolina. 
For sure. So, Corey, I want to jump into – it's funny. I think you almost kind of answered this question a little bit earlier, but uh, obviously after your 1990 season, which I want to give credit, was very good as well. I said that your 89 season was the best overall, but, I mean, you had one less tackle. Uh, like, you had actually more tackles for loss. You had seven tackles for loss. Like you said, the sack numbers dropped a little bit. You had two sacks because of the injury and stuff like that. But overall, really, really solid season in 1990 as well. But uh, – you decided to go in the NFL draft, leave South Carolina. You were taken in the sixth round of the 1991 NFL draft by the New York Giants. Again, I feel like you kind of answered this question a little bit earlier with the transition to Sparky Woods and just how tough it was. But what went into your decision to leave early? Because I'm sure on one hand, you know, you're a kid that grew up, you know, wanting to play for the Gamecocks, dreaming of playing for them. And, but you also want to play in the NFL. And there's problems at South Carolina with Sparky's leadership. I mean, just kind of talk about what went in that decision for you and, you know, if it was a tough decision to make or not for you to uh, to make the jump to the NFL. No, I mean it was it was just time to go, and then God bless uh, Coach White. Harold White was a great mentor for us as athletes of South Carolina. Matter of fact, I was telling his daughters uh, and his wife uh, at the little service they had when he passed away a few months ago. Uh, he was so integral in my decision. I hurt my knee, as I told you. I couldn't practice. I was playing with a torn meniscus you know, my whole senior year. So um, he told me to, to, you know, step out of school. He said, withdraw from school. Listen, you're an NFL player. You're going to have a great NFL career. Don't go to class and, and lose your GPA. He said, go ahead and just withdraw from school and work on your NFL future because that's, that's your future. And you can make good money doing that. And that's what I did, took his advice, and ended up entering the NFL draft. And, of course, you know, nine years later, I had a pretty good career. But um, uh, and and uh, that helped me a great deal. Uh, I knew they would have an issue that South Carolina with Sparky Woods with the players and the coach relationship was not good. Um, so it was just time for me to move on, and and uh, thankfully I did. And, and uh, of course, uh, you know, rest speaks for itself. Yeah, and I would say it was a really good decision. Like I said, you get with the New York Giants in 1991. The Giants, I, I believe, was it was it that year or was it? Uh, the, the year before you got there when they won the Super Bowl? Yeah, it was the year before. Yeah, okay. they, so it was that February. Uh, a lot, lot of people, yeah, a lot of people think that I was on that Super Bowl team uh, just because, you know, I, I was on the team that won it, and, but I did not win the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, they, they won that 1990 down in Tampa Bay, I believe. I think that was doing Desert Storm, if my memory serves me correctly. So, uh but, yeah, but it was a great team, you know, getting to play with Lawrence Taylor and a great linebacker group that they had, the tradition with the three, four linebackers and, you know, that tough physical brand of football, blue collar. That was who I was as a player. And um, it was a great place for me. I mean, New York was great. And running from LT and Carl Banks and Pepper Johnson, uh, those Pro Bowl linebackers. And, and of course, uh, you know, being able to take over starting my end of my rookie year, becoming a starter and, getting there, getting a couple of sacks against the Oilers. And, and then my career kind of took off, and I played alongside Lawrence Taylor for the next two years. And, of course, learning from him, I still thank him to this day uh, for, you know, being who he was because a lot of people ran away from him, and, and I got a lot of one-on-one. So and I took advantage of him to kind of, kind of help my career. <laughs> I mean, you played a great player, believe me, you can take advantage of it. And I definitely did play alongside the greatest linebacker ever played a game, Lawrence Taylor. 
No doubt. Well, Corey, you're you're a Super Bowl champion in my mind, so we'll just uh, we'll leave it at that. But <laughs> but uh, no, <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, for sure. So no, talk about uh, you know you get in the NFL. Obviously, a transition going from college to the NFL. But the '93 NFL season, you really, I feel like, make a jump at least statistically. You had 61 tackles, six and a half sacks, four forced fumbles. Just kind of talk about overall the transition for you from the college game to the NFL, and kind of what led to that breakout year in 1993. Well, you know, Lars Taylor. I mean, again, it was his final year uh, with the Giants, final year as an NFL player, and and really, you know, Mike Nolan came in. We got a different defense. Uh, it, it allowed me to, to become a pass rusher in a lot of situations, and of course, a lot of people, like as I said, paid more attention to him. Uh, rightfully so, and that opened up uh, opportunities for me to go one-on-one, and I took advantage of those opportunities, and um, it was a big year for me. Uh, you know, I was a uh, replacement all-pro uh, player for the Pro Bowl. I didn't get to play in the game, but I was behind Pat Swilling and some of those guys, but but I was, you know, the honorable mention that next-year player, so I had a great year, um, and then things changed. Lawrence retired. Uh, we got, you know, our coaches, staff kept switching over. I mean, I was part of the Giants, probably the worst decade of football that they had in a long time. And, you know, yeah, I got there after they won the Super Bowl, and I played with those Super Bowl winning teams, the guys that played on the 86 and the 1990 Super Bowl teams. But they were trending downward when I got there. And then I had some bad teams. And, yeah, we made several playoffs, but uh, you're talking about Ray Hanley took over for Bill Parcells. Uh, he got fired up to one year. We got Dan Reeves. That was the best era, I believe, we had uh, during my tenure there. I uh, made playoffs, and I, and I had some of my better years. And then Dan Reeves leaves. They bring in, you know, Jim Fassel. Uh, so things change. I mean, I mean, so we get a different defensive coordinator. I uh, really, really didn't get to rush the passer hardly at all anymore. So uh, things just started to change for my career. And then, of course, I hurt my neck. Uh, then uh, they released me, and I ended up going to Minnesota uh, playing my last year. So, uh, you know, a very good career. I mean, but it could have been much better. I, you know, I look at it and say, man, had I had those opportunities that I had in 1993 with Mike Nolan consistently, you know, I would have been a consistent Pro Bowl player. Uh, you know, I was a consistent starter, but my, my role changed to being a run stopper in the defense. So playing strong outside linebacker is not a flashy position. You know, my job was to take on double teams and take on when they ran off tackle plays. I had to, I was that guy to take them to uh, our lineman out, you know, so the inside linebacker can scrape and make plays. So I didn't get all the highlight reel. Uh, I was doing the dirty work. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a needed position. Uh, you, you, you know, you're a team player that you do what you ask. And that was asking me my second half of my career. Uh, but had I had the opportunities, uh, like I had in 1993 and the end of 1991, I could have been a guy that been a double-digits type sack guy every year, but uh, the system changed, and, and so did my position. And uh, but, but again, I still lasted nine years and, and had a wonderful career. No doubt, yeah. Again, from the Giants, nineteen ninety-one and nineteen ninety-eight, and the Vikings, like you said, nineteen ninety-nine. You mentioned the neck injury. Was that kind of the leading decision, or kind of the leading factor in your decision to retire from the NFL, or what went into that for you? Yeah, you know, I, I got clearance from all the, the, the uh, neurologists and spinal uh, surgeon, the specialist, and uh, so I went back and played for the Vikings, and, and I just wasn't myself, to be honest with you. I, I was a guy that was very physical, 
I played a physical brand of ball. I mean, I was about hitting. I was about striking something. And, uh, and I, you know, reckless abandonment. You hear that said all the time. Well, that was me. Um, and I felt like when I got to the Vikings, I didn't, I didn't have that. And I had it, but I was a little bit afraid to turn loose because of my spine, my C6 and C7. Even though doctors said, hey, you're okay, I just didn't, I didn't turn loose like I normally would do. And, and after that end of the year, I had opportunity to actually come back to Carolina to play for the Panthers. I had an opportunity to get signed by the Raiders and some other teams that wanted me going into my 10th year. But um, I just, I, you know, I always felt like when I couldn't turn loose and have fun and play ball like I knew I knew how to play, it was time to stop. My kids were getting, you know, a little older in school now, and, and I didn't want to keep moving them around every year, signing one-year deals and you know, being in Oakland, Minnesota County. You kind of get bumped all over the place. It wasn't fair for them, you know, being in kindergarten and starting first grade. You start to build little friends and uh, moving them around all the time, and you didn't know if you're going to be able to stay in that city. Well, you get cut. I mean, a lot of things were happening. So uh, because of all of that and the stability of, of, of my game at that point in time, I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And so I stepped away, and it was hard. I went through a lot of, a lot of tough times. Went through depression. I went, I went through a period where I was a little bit suicidal. So I went through all of that uh, after I retired. I mean, it was tough. Uh, one of the toughest things I ever had to do was leave, walk away from a game that I love and played for a long time. And uh, of course, uh, praise the Lord for being with me during those those difficult situations. But yeah, it just got to that point. It was time to step away. No doubt. Corey, I was going to say, you know, for a lot of guys, it is, you know, very tough in, in any sport whenever they have to finally hang up the cleats or retire for whatever reason. Um, how big of a relief, I guess, was it? Because like you mentioned, and it's funny, I didn't really know this until um, there are some different accounts on YouTube that post old games from, say, 2000, 2001, and you cut them on. It's like, hey, that's Corey Miller and Todd Ellis, like you said. So, I mean, um, you jumped <laughs> straight into the South Carolina media game. Um, you did that, obviously, doing those games with Todd Ellis. You've done the Corey Miller show. Um, on a Columbia sports radio station, 560 The Team. I know in November of 2013, you uh, you joined the staff to watch TV, the Fox Columbia affiliate. Um, just kind of talk about what, mm-hmm. your int- what, what made you interested in doing that, I guess, because I know a lot of guys in sports, that's kind of something they would like to do. But you're someone that did it and is very good at it. I mean, wh- where did that interest come from? And uh, what, what, I guess, what, uh, where, did, where did that interest come from for you? Man, I, you know, being in New York, the media capital, right? I mean, you got, you know, and, and you having good years and, you know, like I had. So I became somewhat of the media darling for the Giants. Um, you know, I was somewhat of the spokesperson for the team. Uh, I was a player rep uh, for the New York Giants for a couple of years. And so media people always wanted to talk with me. And, you know, honestly, I, I got it from Columbia. I mean, we always had media there. And let me just say this. <laughs> When I first got to South Carolina, I mean, I was a nervous purpose, man. I couldn't speak in front of people. I was very shy. And when I had to go take a theater and speech class 140, I failed it. And I failed it because when I got the syllabus, I found out that I had to speak in front of the class. Well, I went out and, I, and for a whole semester, I sat out front, of, out front of that class and never went in. And I failed it. And Coach White says, son, son, how can you fail theater and speech? All you got to do is just show up. <laughs> and I said, coach, I was so devastated. I was so scared. I'm from Pageland. 
I'm shy. And my mother used to make me do Easter speeches, and I hated it. I would have panic attacks. And and so as I started playing the next year, 1988, when I finally touched the field, and I was this South Carolina's big-time prize recruit in my class, you know, and I started playing well. Well, guess what? People wanted to talk with me. And and uh, they said, Corey, you're going to have to learn how to be comfortable, comfortable and confident people because you're going you're gonna to be a great player and people want to talk with you. So South Carolina prepared me for that. And as I got to New York and became very good on the field, more opportunities uh, opened up to go in and host shows. I was hosting luncheons. I was on, you know, doing all this, these things on Fox and, you know, all the national networks. Um, and, and I got really, really comfortable with it. And people started saying, man, you are really good. You're a natural. And I'm like, how can I be a natural? I feel theater and speech. You know, and uh, but they were like, no, you're a natural at this, and and you should look, you know, after football doing this. Well, I got opportunities when I was the Giants. I worked with Bob Papa, and Marv Albert at MSC Network. We did a Giants Jets Journal. I was doing stuff all over the place, all over the country. I interviewed for the best damn sports show when it came out. They wanted to bring me out to L.A., but a family didn't want to move at the time. So I had some some great opportunities. I've done a lot of different things and in different ways from studio hosting, uh, doing the color analysts. I've done play by play. I've done side work radio. So I was the whole shebang. I've, I've had an opportunity to do, and I enjoy it. I love the game. And so I love talking about the game. Um, I used to sit in my house when, when video cameras, little eight millimeters first came out and I would pretend that I was hosting the talk show. I wanted to be, you know, the, the male version of Oprah Winfrey, you know? So, you know, I would do that and record it. And so to where I, I felt like I needed to own the camera. You know, I wasn't just I look in that camera. I didn't worry about who would see it. I always worried about owning the camera. And I always had that mindset, like, I'm not worried about who's listening to me. That's me talking. I had the floor. And so I became comfortable in doing it. And I felt like, you know, knowing what you were talking about made it easy. And football, I knew. I studied it. I lived it. Um, I, I knew more than just defense. I knew offense. I played all the positions. And uh, I was always a film room junkie when it came to football. So this is something I knew. And the passion came out when I spoke about it. And so that's what people saw in me. And, uh, you know, Sinclair gave me a chance. I didn't, I didn't ever see myself being, a, you know, a news anchor, sports anchor. I'm like, and uh, Allison Aldridge, uh, believed in me. She's a daughter of Miles Aldridge, who coached my son at Spring Valley, coached at South Carolina and Clemson. And, and when she became a GM at Watch Fox, he, she said that he told her because he heard my radio show and watched me on WLTX at the time. Uh, all the years I worked over with Bob Shields and Reggie Anderson and Matt Barr, all these, Barr, all these guys. And they said, hey, man, he said, you got to hire Corey. She hired me. And I didn't know nothing about being a sports anchor. But she said, I know you. You can learn it. You're good. And I just kind of developed my own style. I didn't read a script. I didn't read no, no teleprompter. I just studied what I studied, and I had a clock in my head, and, and I just rolled with it. So, um, you know, that opened up some more opportunities for me. So I did that five years as a, basically the sports director, sports anchor at Watch Fox until I just uh, resigned back in February. Now I'm pursuing ministry, which is where I know God is leading me full time. That's awesome. So, Corey, I want to go back. You talked a little bit about your son, Christian Miller, obviously just finished a great career up at Alabama. He's now with the uh, the Carolina Panthers. I know you're very proud of him, and I know it's exciting that he's 
kind of stayed as close to home as possible. If you, I'm sure you're up there watching him a ton, but just kind of talk about, you know, his recruitment, obviously you're South Carolina. Great. Your son is coming up again in South Carolina. Um, did you in any way try to, you know, did you have any influence wanting him to go to USC? Cause I know it's interesting during his recruiting. I know it was the time where South Carolina was on some uneasy times with the end of Steve Spurrier's tenure. And there were some things that really just uh, weren't in a good place, if you will. And Chris, you know, your son, Christian, obviously being an extremely highly touted recruit, just talk about his recruitment and I guess how tough it was. Cause I'm sure you're a guy that, you know, secretly you, you would have loved him to go to South Carolina, but you want your kid to go to the place where he's going to have the most success and, go to the place that fits for him. But just overall, talk about his recruitment to Alabama and uh, and just what that was like for you watching that. Yeah, it's really a, uh, one of those topics. That <laughs> everybody knows me. I kind of wear it on my sleeve, you know. Uh, uh, Christian, you know, I always said this. Um, I didn't want to be an overbearing parent. Uh, you know, when he was getting coached in high school and I worked out there, with Miles Aldridge when I stepped away the first time from radio. I wanted him to make his own decision. You know, I wanted him to respect and listen to what I had to say and what I thought, but it would never be anything that I would pressure him into doing. I wanted him to take my experience and, uh, you know, my educated opinions about different teams, coaches, uh, you know, what situation I thought he would be in as a player, but yet it would be ultimately his decision. Wherever he wanted to go, dad would always support. Obviously, every father, deep down, you know, played college football and had a son that had that opportunity, a second generation. There's no doubt. Deep down, you were like, man, I wanted to see my son and not gone in black. I wanted him to experience what I experienced um, running out of 2001. And he was a Gamecock fan. I mean, that's what he knew. He knew his dad as a Gamecock. You know, he's been around. He's been over there. I mean, so it was tough, you know, when, when things got sideways that they didn't really recruit him. I think the coaches came to Spring Valley one time um, to see him. Um, he was a guy that, you know, sophomore year, his stock was totally rising, did all these different national from camps. I mean, he was a long, slender guy that people knew was going to be 6'4". He knew he was going to be a, a guy that his, his his upside was going to be down the road. Um, but the guy was phenomenally talented. Um, and they didn't recruit him. So that was very hurtful. Um, very hurtful. And I felt like it was very disrespectful. Uh, being a guy that, you know, captain at South Carolina on their all-time football team, a guy that supported the university, uh, but because I felt like, you know, Steve Spurrier did not like me for some of the things that I said on the radio or whatnot, and, and, and I felt like it was personal. There's no doubt I felt like that was personal because there's no, no way you don't recruit a kid in your backyard that the ESPN, a national had him as the number one outside linebacker in his traffic. I mean, in the, his class in 2014. There's no way that all if you believe in all these, which a lot of people do, these recruiting things. The other one, he was too, you know, a number one player recruiting your state, and you always talking about winning the state and recruiting. Then this guy should have been your number one priority. But 
you know, they didn't do it. And for whatever reason, and I felt like it was personally attacking against me, to be honest with you. And, you know, and I was very critical of some of Steve Spurrier's decisions and things. And I mentioned those on the radio. Maybe I should have probably held back, but I, that's just not what I was taught of being in New York media. Just, you know, you just be, you do it in a respectful way, but you're not disrespectful. You just, people need to hear the truth. And they're paying you money as an analyst to say the truth. And, you know, or, or, you know, at least what you think is to be true by doing it, having an educated opinion. And so they they didn't recruit him. And, you know, when Dabo Swinney and, you know, he went up to, to the camp and, yes, I took him. Why wouldn't I? Why would I hold my son back from any opportunity? I didn't know if anybody else at the time was going to give him a scholarship. Well, Dabo Swinney and Brent Venables, the first time he stepped on the yard up there, they take a look at him and watch him run and move. And, and I already seen what he's done on his high school tape. They offered him a scholarship. Well, of course, that word got out. And with me, you know, Clemson offered him a Gamecock great son, Christian Middle Scholarship. Well, because of what I feel about the rivalry, you know I'm a Gamecock. You know I, I did not want him to go to Clemson. Absolutely not. <laughs> but but here's this, here's this, this, this team. And Dabo was saying, hey, listen, I know you're Gamecock. I'm just telling you that your son has a scholarship here if he wants to come play for us. And I know, I mean, he took a visit. Brad Scott was up there. I mean, I wasn't going to hold that back for him because if he liked it, as much as it would have bothered me, I would accept, you know, him going to Clemson if he wanted to do that. Of course, he didn't want to do that. He's a Gamecock fan. <laughs> but it was very disappointing for him. Um, and I do appreciate Dabo Swinney, and I appreciate them, you know, seeing my kid as a, as a top prospect in the country, and, and that's why I think they are as good as they are and doing what they're doing right now because they don't matter. Dabo Swinney is not afraid even to, to offer my son. Think about that. That takes some, you know, <laughs> I mean, to bring him up there and, and knowing, you know, where, where it lies. He's not afraid to put it out there. You know, you have not because you ask not. That's a, that's, that's a scripture, and he wasn't afraid, and I can respect him, but uh, and I'm sorry to get long-winded on this, but you know, the bottom line is Brad Lowing, who was my coach at South Carolina for a couple of years, came to me and said, and offered my son a scholarship. He was mad about it. Brad Lowing was upset that he turned on the tape and he was like, this is ridiculous. He said, Court, we're offering him a scholarship. No, Nobody else did. Brad Long did. And then he leaves. So that's how the whole thing broke down with South Carolina. They wanted to play him at defensive end, and I kept telling them, he's not a defensive end. He's a lineman. He's a great pass rusher, but he's not a defensive end. He is a prototypical 3-4 outside linebacker, which is what he is. And I told him that. I'm like, I played this game. I played the position. I've seen the best to ever play the position. This is who this kid is. He's going to be long-rangey fast. He's going to be 240, 250. And he's going to be a nightmare Pat rush the quarterback, which everybody in the world, even the best team in the last 12 years, the Alabama Crimson Tide, who Nick Saban flew, and Chris Rock was there, who played with me in South Carolina at the time. I mean, so if you got the best coach, the best program across the country recruiting this kid, there's no way you should lose that in your backyard. And that, that, that was the issue. And I never really, this is the first time I really sat down and told the story, but that was the issue. And and so, therefore, Christian just gave up on the hope of South Carolina because if Brad was gone, there was no more recruiting of him. Um, 
they made this excuse of, you know, all these other excuses. But I'm telling Gamecock fans right now, um, they had the opportunity because that's where he wanted to go play until, like, they they just didn't recruit him. Yeah, it it, it is uh... – Wow, I mean, it is disappointing because, you know, it's funny, Corey. I've, I've always wondered kind of how that went down when you kind of start to think and you line up sort of the time ranges of when he was recruited and, you know, just what happened in 2014 really and leading into 2015. It kind of makes sense. But either way, it worked out well for Christian. Obviously, fantastic career at Alabama. He's in the NFL now. You talked a lot about the Gamecocks football program, so I want to move into that. Um, you're someone, obviously, that's followed extremely close. I mean, again, you're in Columbia. You're still very close to the Gamecocks football program. You talked a little bit earlier about Will Muschamp. Um, the thing that everyone wants to talk about going into this 2019 season specifically, obviously, is the schedule, uh, the toughness of the schedule. But Will Muschamp coming into his fourth season. Corey, just kind of give me your quick breakdown of your feelings on the program that Will Muschamp is building, the progress they've made at this point, and I guess how you feel about the program and the way it's trending right now. I love it. I absolutely love what Will Muschamp and his staff, what they're doing. I think he has a great staff. Uh, they're building over there, um, you know, and, and they took over mess. Just piggyback what I said about my son. I mean, they're piggybacking off of mess these for your left. He stopped recruiting, not just my son, but recruiting, period. He had nothing much to work with, and there's no disrespect to the kids that was there but a lot of those kids weren't quality sec kids just being real about it so he had to come in and try to restock the cupboards if you will he had to hit the ground running he knew i mean this guy been in auburn and alabama i mean lsu he's been everywhere with nick saban he he understands how to win what it takes what caliber athlete it takes so he got to go find those guys but fortunately they were behind the eight ball i mean south Carolina had a chance those three years in a row, 11 wins, finishing in the top 10, you know, 44 games, I believe it was, in four years that they won. They had a chance. They were beating Clemson five years in a row. They had a chance to be where Clemson is right now. But Steve Spurrier quit. Therefore, Will Muschamp had to come in and try to fix the mess. And I think right now we're starting to see it slowly turn. He had it in the end of the season last year well. Uh, you know, they had, what, 13 guys out in the bowl game. Mm. The best player, Debo Samuel, don't play. You get embarrassed to a Virginia team. It was pretty solid in the ACC, but let's be real. They're not, they're not as good as South Carolina if, if both teams are healthy. But, you know, kids weren't motivated. So now he's recruited. He's starting to get some recognizable players coming out of high school, players of teams like Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, uh, you know, LSU. They want them too. So that means the guys must be pretty doggone good. We got those guys now on the roster. And I know they can coach, they can develop, because he got a lot of good coaches on this roster. So they are headed in the right direction. And the other thing is they're spending the money, the ops building. And, you know, people say, well, why is everything so important with these indoor facilities and operations? It's important because these things mean a lot to this, this generational kid. You know, they, it means a lot what the ops building looks like, what the weight room looks like, what the indoor looks like, what the locker room looks like. Do they have Bluetooth? In the lock, all this stuff, it it makes a huge difference, you know, in the in in getting these players, and he's doing that, and I think it's just going to increase. Now, talk about this year real quick. It's going to be very interesting because the schedule is tough. But I'm with Will Muschamp, as you said last week at SC Media Days. Every year is tough. Okay, what's what's tough this year? The only difference is to me is they got Alabama, and that's a big thing. 
Other than that, what's different? They they play Clemson every year. They play Georgia every year. They play A&M every year. They play Florida every year. They got to have State was a better group of five team. I get that, but they should win that ball game. So other than that, what's the difference with the schedule? I mean, it's hard every single year. I mean, the SEC is the best league. You've got to play good football. Somebody said, well, they can be better, but the record won't indicate that. Then you're not better, in my opinion. <laughs> you're going to have to win some of those games. You're better if you win two or so of those games, those tough games. If you can upset Alabama or Clemson. If you can go beat Florida, you know, the Texas A&M. These are quality wins. That tells me you're better. You got Jake Bentley, who's a senior. He's been around. You got guys, Brian Edwards. You got Shai Smith. You got guys on the offensive line that's been around. They're going to be a veteran offensive line. You got defensive guys that are coming back. They got quality snaps that struggle, but they should be better. South Carolina should be a better football team. And I think the fans should not put themselves in a position to say, already start making excuses. Well, we might be better, but the record will not be indicative of that. No, 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 no. You're not better. If you're four and eight, you're four and eight. I'm of the belief you are what your record says you are. And I believe South Carolina can be a seven, eight tight win team. And that's a good year for them. And I think that's building. But if they're four and eight, five and seven, they're not a better football team. They're a worse football team. Yeah, Corey, I've already predicted for the uh, for the season. I've got Carolina at seven and five, but I hundred percent agree with you that the uh, you know it's funny in the off season we hear the off season talk of you know this year's a a mulligan type year for Muschamp because of the schedule and if they go six and six the victory and I I tell people all the time you know it's really easy for fans even to say those type of things in April May June but if it's December and South Carolina goes six and six there's nobody going to be having that attitude that. It was a like that's just not how it works. I think we both know that. Um, kind of a kind of a funny off the wall question for you here, Corey. How how uh, how relieved are you that uh, that your son already went ahead and you know obviously is in the NFL now and that you don't have to be kind of uh, kind of split on who you're pulling for in the South Carolina Alabama game? <laughs> well, you know, listen, man, I was never really split. To be honest with you, I can say that now. <laughs> I mean, I'm a game cop, bro. I mean. You know, I support my son. And, I, and listen, I got a ton of Alabama family and friends, I, I, parents. I mean, you know, when you when you, when you you go together, four straight national championship games and, uh, you know, what, five straight SEC championships. I mean, mm-hmm. you go through these things and you build a lot of great relationships. And I love – I do love Alabama. I do love Nick Saban and it's just family. You know, I've met so many great people, so many. Uh, that have gone on, coached it all over the place, and now head coach other. I mean, it's been a great, great run, and I will always pull for the Alabama Crimson Tide, except September when they come to Columbia. Other than that, I'm pulling for Alabama, and I hope we'll see those teams have a rematch in Atlanta. That will be my prayer. Uh, but I'm a Gamecock. I'm I'm a Gamecock through and through. I'm always going to be a Gamecock, uh, no matter what happened and what people try to say with the Spurrier thing. You know, that does not change my loyalty to the University of South Carolina. That was an individual thing. Um, and in my faith, you know, I forgive whatever, whether Spurrier think he did something or not, that's fine. I, you know, and, and, and of course, I repented for how I acted towards him sometimes because I didn't pull for him. Treated my son, but I had to repent of that sin in my life because it was. I, I shouldn't have um, held that grudge. But, you know, that was something I had to get over and deal with. 
um, and I had to figure out that, you know what, God had the best plan for Christian's life, and and I trusted God in that, and, and he had his best career. I mean, let's go to Alabama. I mean, what he accomplished, uh, you know, a lot of people, oh, oh well, you know, with the typical fan, you didn't go to South Carolina, he ain't never going to play. He's going to be like every other, you know, uh, guy that went down to Alabama, going to sit on the bench for all these years. And you know, I heard it all. People said all these negative things, but guess what he did? He went down there, and he sat, and then we wanted him to sit. But in two years, we were registered freshman, got a little special team, and sophomore played a little bit. Junior, starter, senior, starter. You know, last year, defensive player of the year for the Alabama Crimson, and a captain, you know, and through all of the pain and the suffering he'd gone through, got his master's in four years. Uh, I mean, and then you get drafted. Uh, you know, just the what, top 105 in the, in the NFL is a mm. blessing. Uh, one ten, whatever he was. So, you know, I look at it like this: you can never underestimate God's plans, and it's never the way we think it is. Um, and I always be a Gamecock fan. I'm always going to support South Carolina football. Um, that's who I am. Christian had his own life and his college career. He's going to always support Alabama, and he should. That's who he is, and uh, he had a great career. I had a great career, and I'm hoping now he can have a long, uh, illustrious NFL career on top of that. Beat me, beat me there too. He beat me in college already. Beat me, got drafted higher than I did. Now he just got to beat me on the year played in the NFL. And I pray that he can double up what I did, and uh, and do everything to the glory of God because that's at the end of the day, it's what it's all about. It's about you know maximizing our platform, impacting folks in a great and positive way and giving God glory while you're doing it. And I think that's what he's going to do. No doubt. So, Corey, getting back to the Gamecocks football program, because I'm just curious to get your take on it, obviously, because I agree with everything you said about the progress Muschamp has made and kind of looking at this 2019 season. Let me ask you, though, because I'm curious to get your perspective. What would you say to the South Carolina fans? Because I think we'd both agree that what Will Muschamp is dealing with right now, you know, Muschamp, most wins in his first three years as Gamecocks head coach, more than anyone, more than Spurrier, Holtz, anyone else in South Carolina history. But I think a lot of the frustration comes from, you know, Will Muschamp is having to deal with something that Steve Spurrier or any other coach never has, which is that Georgia and Clemson are in the, the greatest football runs in their entire history. I don't think that can even be debated. Um, I mean, what would you say to the Gamecock fans that are – frustrated that are I mean it's it's tough to cope it's tough for them to cope with that right now what would you say to them about having patience and letting Will Muschamp build this thing out <laughs> yeah it's tough I mean you know patience that, yeah, that's tough um and when you when you your neighbor up the road is doing what they're doing obviously uh it makes it even worse it builds the anxiety uh for the fan base and you know they want that quick turnaround well I will say this and I've said it before I support Will Muschamp, and I, I think he understands what it takes to have that type of success. I think South Carolina fans, you got to be realistic. You know, let's just be real. Doing this in the ACC is a heck of a lot easier than what South Carolina got to put up with and deal with. I mean, it, it just is. People can say what they want. I mean – it's difficult. You're going to have to go to the gauntlet every year, beating Georgia and Florida uh, and Missouri even. Uh, Kentucky got things rolling last year. I, I, I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy. Then you're going to have to beat those guys, big boys in the West. You know, now it's A&M. I, I mean, you're going to have to beat an Auburn. You're going to have to beat an Alabama. You're going to, 
I mean, these things are difficult. Um, and you're talking about a program that haven't, haven't been built on a lot of great success in history. So asking them him to do something in three, four years is tough. I think what you got to do is look at the progress. And I think for me and for this fan base, if they can knock off Florida and beat an A&M and find a way to beat Clemson at home this year, you know, you find those positives and you build on them. Spurrier got it turned around, you know, and Will Muschamp can do the same. It could be done, but you got to have and keep the support. Um, so I understand the anxiousness that comes along with it. Uh, when Clemson is winning the way they're winning. But at the same time, I would say it's a heck of a lot easier. <laughs> they're not going through a gauntlet. Uh, yeah, they got the A&M early. I mean, think about it. Their toughest games this year are South Carolina and A&M. Nobody in the conference. So you're blowing people out. You get the rest starters. You get to play, get to play backups. You get to get valuable experience. And then when you get to the playoffs, you're fresh. You know, you're not beat up. You're not. Clemson has a different angle. Well, South Carolina got to find a way to do it a different way. And and that's going to be physicality. That's going to be numbers. That's going to be really keeping guys healthy. As we saw last year, they got beat up, and they couldn't compete. They couldn't finish. I, listen, if they were healthy against Clemson defensively, when you think they had a, a, a better opportunity, they couldn't stop Clemson at all. So, you know, they were just exchanging blows. So they fell short. So, you know, they got to build depth, and depth takes several years. And Will Muschamp is doing that. I think they should be excited about what he's got got going on and happening at South Carolina. And I do think their best days are in front of them. Well said. Well, Corey, before I let you go, I have one last question for you. You're, uh, when you look back on your career, what would you say is your favorite memory as a Gamecock? Woo! Man, I'm telling you, that Georgia game at Georgia, Oh, my God. Between the hedges. And we go down there and just rip their heart out. And seeing those those uh, just those fans, it's just really just, man, just could not believe that we came down there and won that ball game and leaving. They were so rude that day. And we go down there and we put that thing on them. That was a great moment. <laughs> There's nothing greater than going in somebody's backyard and just ripping out their heart. And so, especially when you're not, you know, you're not predicted to win. That was a great yeah, – and that's one of – I would say that's probably the greatest college game that I've ever played. And the last one would be uh, West Virginia Thanksgiving night game. Um, it's my senior senior year. And, uh, my God, it was an amazing moment of uh, seeing my mother. And uh, my father could not make a lot of games because of financial – uh, situation we didn't have money like that and I, and I, I think back you know about that <laughs> uh, so I get a little emotion about that uh, lose my mom a couple of weeks ago and uh, having a chance to come on the field and and be acknowledged uh, and just finishing my last game in, at Williams-Brice Stadium was probably the greatest moment now as I look back and, and having my mother and my father who did everything, you know, to give me an opportunity, man. And I, I'll never forget that day. So, uh, uh, West Virginia, my last game at Williams Bryce Stadium, and having my mother and father day there with me and uh, raising me upright and, and uh, put up with a lot of mess as I was growing up. Just uh, 
just a huge blessing, man. So that's the greatest moment of my life there at Williams-Brice Stadium. For sure. Well, Corey, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time again. Not, not only, you know, obviously I can speak for all Gamecock fans when it was, uh, you know, appreciate what you did in Garnet and Black, obviously, but what you've continued to do in the Gamecock community in Columbia and uh, just being involved. It's obviously great to have, you know, former greats stay around the program. I, I think it's just something that makes a huge impact. And uh, obviously I know your impact is felt. So we really appreciate it and appreciate you taking the time. and would love to do it again sometime for sure. Anytime, my friend. God bless you, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So for Corey Miller, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.